When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons. Or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate. But nothing beats the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the very first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. It's March 13th, 1905, and another remarkable event is about to be uncovered by Ariel, Rebecca, and Ali, the Retrospectors. The diaphanous shawls she wore as the dance began were cast away until finally, as the candelabras were capped and only the flickering oil light gleamed on Shiva's features, the sarong was abandoned and her silhouette, with the back to the audience, writhed with desire toward her supernatural lover. And who was this exotic Hindu priestess burning up the Paris stage today in history in 1905? Well, she was a Dutch woman named Margareta Zeller, better known to history as the infamous seductress and spy Mata Hari. And the way that you've just sort of described it sounds much more filthy, actually, than I imagined. <laughs> well, I mean, I, you know, burlesque these days is considered an art form, isn't it? And, you know, if you look at the costume, it's a cliche now, but it's a cliche because she did it. Mm. No one had ever seen the Dance of the Seven Veils in the West before because she brought it over. She was wearing breastplates, veils, her arms and calves encircled by bracelets. You know, this all this writhing with pleasure with kicking off your sarong. It sounds like smart now. <laughs> well, the Gimei Museum is a museum of Asian arts and some of the costumes that she wore involved pieces from the museum. You know, the, the quote I gave up top was from Russell Warren Howe's book, Matahari, The True Story. And he describes her as wearing bracelets from the collection and a belt from India encrusted with precious stones. But yeah, she she it was a striptease, but she always, as you mentioned, she wore a breastplate, a kind of gold jeweled breastplate. Apparently she even wore it during sex, which she was not doing on stage at the Gimei Museum. She was doing it in the privacy of homes and apartments she was apparently a bit self-conscious about her small breasts so she kept the breastplate on at all times Mm. okay so uh to explain who matter harry really was and what she was doing there uh we need to go back to holland to rural holland where she was just like a middle-class dutch girl fairly unremarkable apart from the fact she had slightly darker skin than others which made people the whole way through her life think that maybe she was mixed race and obviously she traded on that um, exoticism later but her childhood soon forked away from its expected route when there was some family tragedy. Yeah, first of all, well, her parents divorced, then her mother died. Her father then left her with relatives and uh, it just didn't go well for her that she didn't get along with them and vice versa. And then at 18, she answered a newspaper ad from a 39-year-old captain in the Dutch colonial army. She met him for a date and married him five months later. And this chap, Rudolf MacLeod, took her with him to the Dutch East Indies, which is now Indonesia. And it's there where she learned some of the Javanese dancers uh, that really came to be central to her act. Yeah, immersing herself in the local culture was a bit of a refuge, really, because the marriage did not turn out well, although they seemed to hit it off at first, despite the fact there was a big age gap. And I'll be honest, guys, McLeod was no looker. It turned out not only was he not a looker, he was also a drunk, he was abusive. Both of them had affairs. Their son, oh, they had two children. Their son, Norman, died, and possibly from complications of congenital syphilis, which is Mm. like, oof. 
And so as a relationship deteriorated, she got involved with the local dance troupe, started learning more about the culture. This is where she adopted her stage name, Matahari. She said it was a local word that meant sun. It meant literally light of the day, although a few sources online seem to say that, that that's nothing, that she probably just made it up. And then when they returned to the Netherlands in 1902... Uh, McLeod and Marguerite went their separate ways. They were divorced in 1906 and she decided to head to Paris and start a new life. But we're also kind of still doing the thing of making it sound sort of glamorous. You know, she went to Paris and reinvented herself to make her fortune. I mean, she's 29 years old. She's lost her son. She's actually lost her daughter as well, who's alive, but she lost uh, custody of her in the divorce and she didn't get alimony either. Mm. So actually she has no money. She has no reputation. She has no husband. She's lost both her children. She's gone to Paris so that she can reinvent herself through... I don't want to call it sex work. I don't want to fall into the trap of being like a 1905 (laughs) Madonna whore complex guy. But, you know, nonetheless, she's thought, what are my assets? I have cultural appropriation and men think I'm attractive. Mm. I'm going to go and pretend to be an exotic dancer in basically a strip bar. I mean, that really is what's happening here. Well, Well, actually, the first thing that she thought was, I might try and be a piano tutor and a German tutor. (laughs) But neither of those avenues proved lucrative enough for her. Uh, And so she did then, well, first of all, she became an artist's model and a circus horse rider. I can't just, I just can't square how, like, what her skill set was that she was, <laughs> like, able to do all she of was these Dutch. particular roles. I think basically she was uninhibited and Dutch. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing, isn't it? She's used to, oh God, that's a terrible cliche, not used to parading around without any clothes on, but more comfortable <laughs> about parading around without any clothes on than some of the uptight local French would have been. So she sticks out immediately. Well, and the fact that she had grown up in this middle-class environment, at least until her teenage years, meant that she did have some of what would have been the traditional accomplishments, you know, piano, foreign languages. Mm. And this also kind of geared her up for her second lucrative career, which was as a high-class mistress. You know, she had military officers, diplomats, etc., were all in her circle of clientele because she had this, you know, this sort of dignified bearing, despite what she was doing on stage, which would include a lot of, you know, loin writhing. She did <laughs> fundamentally have this middle-class cosmopolitan background that made her, you know, an acceptable companion to high-status men. And it was at this point she fell in love with a young Russian pilot who was serving with the French military. This is sort of during the early stages of World War One. And when he was wounded, she, and this is kind of her story, she sought permission to visit him at a field hospital. And at this point, French intelligence agents approached her, seeing a chance to put her legendary seduction skills to use. And they basically promised that in exchange for permission to go to the front and see her lover and a promise also of one million francs, she was going to seduce Crown Prince Wilhelm, who was the son of Kaiser Wilhelm. He held the rank of general and she was supposed to pump him for his military secrets. I mean, what the French didn't know was that he was actually a total donkey and nobody had told him any military secrets. Yeah, she was promised a million francs if she could seduce him. So uh, she went across, she notionally agreed to this and consequently she was able to travel a bit more freely around Europe. Oh, you're Dutch when you want to be. Yeah, right. (laughs) But uh, she was still attracting the attention of officials and she was actually stopped in 1916 when she was in the British port of Falmouth. Uh, And there she was arrested and and interrogated. She was actually released because they couldn't stick anything on her. But by this stage, there was some intimation that she wasn't just working for the French, but may have actually flipped and also have been working for the Germans. Yes, she was assigned the codename Agent H21. 
at the trial that follows shortly, it was implied that she traded in big military secrets and was possibly responsible for tens of thousands of deaths. Mm. But I mean, it seems like really what the Germans wanted out of her was the same as the French. They wanted gossip and pillow talk and, you know, is it really true that he thinks this about this person? Um, But when she's arrested, she says she is loyal to the French. Quote, a courtesan, I admit it. A spy, never. But the French authorities concluded that they were being transmitted in this code that the German intelligence already knew that they had cracked. They too understood that it was their intention to get Matahari arrested. So basically both sides were pretty much willing to give her up in large part because of exactly what we're saying. The stuff that she had was really just tattle and gossip and she really didn't have very much information uh, to spill on either side. But the fact that she hadn't actually done much of significance wrong and the fact that so much of the trial was conducted in secrecy didn't stop the press from seizing upon it and really what we would recognise now as besmirching her public image, stressing, you know, the fact that she had been an exotic dancer, she was foreign, she looked like she might be mixed race somehow, she was five foot ten, which is very tall for a woman. (laughs) You know, all of this was sort of calculated to prove that she was somehow immoral and untrustworthy. The implication being, you know, a woman who would take her clothes off to music, how do we know she wouldn't be responsible for the deaths of 50,000 men on the battlefield? Well, she continued her flirtation when she was ultimately sentenced to death and, uh, at least according to legend, she was blowing kisses to the firing squad uh, as they uh, approached her. (laughs) So sort of true to form to the end. And you'd think that would be the end, wouldn't you, execution by firing (laughs) squad, but there is a coda extraordinarily to her which is no one claimed her body. So she was beheaded and her body was then used as a cadaver in medical science. And her head was put on display as part of a famous criminal's head display for medical students. And then the museum that held her head acknowledged that they didn't know where it was anymore and someone's stolen her head and no one knows where it is. (laughs) What's equally bad is that they then went to search for the rest of her body, but (laughs) none of the rest of her remains could be accounted for either. Which in a strange way kind of continues this exotic mystique Mm. around her story. And there's so much of her story which is actually just totally beyond her control, which has made it harder for all sorts of people. You could argue that in a way... For decades, just her legend kind of made it harder for women in the entertainment industry in general to be trusted because they could be a spy. Or, indeed, for women who were spies to be a spy, you know, to enter the world of espionage because the image is of a seductress who taps out code with her legs whilst dancing. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Tomorrow. The Emperor of Japan has just made flirting illegal and punishable by having your head cut off. Ditch the ads and get a Sunday episode when you join Club Retrospectors. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts. Part of the ACAST Creator Network. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.